0: One day, a young father wanted to do something special for his five-year-old son, Marcus. So he asked him, Marcus, is there anything that you'd really like to do right now? He just kind of felt extra generous that day. So they got into the family SUV, they headed toward the nearest McDonald's and little Marcus was sitting in that car and his lips and tongues were silently moving as he could like just taste those golden French fries even before they reached the restaurant. So they got there, they hopped out, they went in together, his dad made the order and all of a sudden Marcus's heart kind of leapt as he heard his dad say, you know what? make it a full blown happy meal, not just fries, but I'm gonna get my son a full blown happy meal. We're not gonna go of course with those apple slices stuff, you know, cause he wants French fries. So hold the yogurt and all the healthy stuff and the apple slices, give him that burger, those fries and even that soft drink. And so he paid for the meal. Marcus, again, was so excited. He was so ready to sink his teeth into that. He was surprised at his dad's extra level of generosity. And when they sat down, the prayer consisted of, God bless this food, amen. But even that, those five words seemed like too many for Marcus as he was eager to just dive in to all of that fast food deliciousness. Marcus' dad was like, as you can imagine, he was kind of like genuinely overjoyed at seeing his little guy so happy over something so simple, right? And he decided to join in the fun. He reached over to get a couple of those french fries for himself. You know what's coming, right? To his surprise... Marcus quickly put his arms around the box as though he was building a little fort around all of this food. He pulled it all toward himself and said, Daddy, this is mine. Marcus's dad was in a bit of a state of a shock for a moment. He pulled back his hand, began to get a little introspective about his son's attitude toward this meal that he had purchased for them. In his mind, he said, let's walk together through the things that went through the, you know, this little guy's mind and my mind. He was thinking, my son has failed to realize that I am the source of those french fries. At the counter, I was the one who gave the cashier the money from my wallet. I did not give him just what he was expecting, that is those french fries, but something more. Not only was I the source of his meal, he has forgotten that I, at six foot one and a sinewy 200 pounds, have the power to take everything from him, despite his puny little arms surrounding it with a feeble little fort. Or if I wanted to, I could just go back to the counter and return with so much food that he could never eat at all. I could give him 10 Happy Meals or extra value meals or whatever. I don't need his food. Again, I could simply go back to the counter and get as much food as I want for myself, period. So the dad thought about all this. He thought, you know, one or two fries really wouldn't make much difference for him that day. And what he wanted was Marcus to invite him into to this wonderful little world that the dad had made possible for him, this wonderful little world of the Happy Meal. He wanted his son to be willing to share the very blessing that he had provided for him. Well, today we're looking at the last of four topics that we've been focusing on this summer at Calvary and that topic that we're looking at, as you can see in your notes, is generosity. There's so much of that that's already going on around here at Calvary. So many of you, and I, I was just thinking, reflecting on how much so many of you give uh, in, your, in life and it looks like I am going to get replaced, I must be having pack problems. Take a minute, talk among yourselves. Check, Check one, two, good, thanks Rich. That's to give it up for Rich being on the, on the scene, thank you, yes. Appreciate it guys, thank you. And again, you know, when I think about all the the resources that, and and, and the funny part about it is, you know, does God need us to give? No, he doesn't need us to give. But so many of you live with such a generous heart and generous lifestyle. I thank you for that. I thank you for your investment in the Calvary. It's it's ours, it's time, it's your talent, it's your abilities, it's your financial support, it's your prayer support, so much more. For some of you, your decision to invest in Calvary requires sacrifice. And that commitment is certainly appreciated. And you know, the Bible, of course, does talk a lot about human beings being generous and giving to God. That's definitely something that is very real. that whole idea of, of generosity is something that I just want you to think about for a second. As you can see on the top of your notes, underneath the word generosity, it just says definition. When you think of generosity in your own words, just take a minute and, and, and think about, when I think about generosity in my own words, this is how I would describe it. Just like even mentally, or even you can just take your pen and go ahead and jot yourself a note. When you think about the idea of generosity, what does it mean? Or generous. Certainly generosity is the act of being generous. So generous means what? What is it? When you look up the word in, in a dictionary, You see something along the lines of this, showing a readiness to give more of something than is strictly necessary or expected. That should be an or, not of. Giving something, give more of something than is strictly necessary or expected. I think that idea of living a life that is not about just what's required of me, But how can I go over and above is this whole idea that we want to look at for a couple of weeks, this idea of generosity. And again, certainly lots in scripture about what we are ha- called to give to God. And 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 we have demonstrations from lots of different individuals all the way from the Hebrew Bible, from Genesis, all the way up through Malachi. And then in the New Testament, we have tons of examples, all the people who gave sacrificially to God and his mission and his ministry. And that's that's an important thing. And we're going to take a look at that. But first, I want us to recognize that scripture at its core is not about what we give to him. Scripture at its core is the story of what God gives to us. When you think about a summation statement, and, uh, and how, how could we sum up the uh, you, you know, in just a few words everything that God does for us, but maybe one that does it pretty well is, was written by Paul in Romans chapter 8, verse 32. And there he says about God, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him, that is Jesus, graciously give us all things? The generosity of God. Graciously give us all things. Scripture said, says that every good and perfect gift comes from our father. God is our generous, is the generous provider of all that we have. In fact, here, here's how generous God is. Even for people who don't acknowledge him, who reject him, he continues to provide for them, right? He provides in a, in a cosmic sense and then also in a personal sense, a life that they have, the air that they breathe, in some ways, the food that they consume. Even for people who don't acknowledge him, that's how how generous God is. Scripture is all about a story of how much God gives to us. And then what happens in Scripture is it takes this turn toward the incarnation, God in the flesh, where Jesus becomes the perfect embodiment of generosity. He becomes the model of generosity. We see God in in all in so many ways, giving to us, and then we see this ultimate gift, just as it said in Romans chapter eight, where God gives Himself to us. It said, "One person has has said it this way: God is loves us so much that God would never send someone else to do His dirty work for for Him. In fact, He would do the dirty work for us by Himself." That's how much he loves us. And if we are to to understand what goes on on the cross, we need to understand that the son and the father are two persons of that one true God. So Jesus becomes the perfect embodiment of his generous father. They are one. Jesus says, when you see me, you've seen the father. The father and I are one. You see, if Jesus is, if that's not the case, if Jesus isn't divine, then what happens on the cross would simply be some measure of abject cruelty. How or why could or would a a petulant God demand that some innocent person perish or die because then he'd simply forgive our sins? That's what some critics say, but it's not like that. That's not real. That's not the message of scripture. Why? Because Jesus is God. Jesus and the Father are one. Different persons, yes, but same being, God. I recognize that's a bit confusing, but it's also critical to understanding at some level and believe. On the cross, God gives no one other than himself. God gives himself, lays down his life, offers the perfect sacrifice, all that we might have life that we might live, the life that we were designed to have, the life that we could never achieve on our own, the life that Jesus calls the abundant life. It's the blessed life. And ultimately, because it was always God's design for humanity, it's eternal life. That's what's happening. Those cults that knock on our doors, and some of them say that Jesus is just a demigod. He's a type of of super being that was created by the real God. And then some of our other friends who are part of maybe a different religion, they say that Jesus was an incredibly noble and upright guy. Others uh, even, even believe, that he, those who do believe that he lived, um, those, some suggest that he's a prophet, a good prophet, a, 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 an actual historical figure. But it's more, again, it's more than just that. It is God himself putting us First that we might have life. One of the mistakes that some people make, especially those who might even be religious, is that they view God as distant. But if Jesus is real and Jesus is God, then God is not distant. Rather, in Jesus, God is Emmanuel, God with us. Instead of sending someone else to do his dirty work, God did it himself. And so we want to talk about that Jesus as that perfect model of generosity. We want to look at him as the perfect model giver. Because I'm, I'm convinced if we do not grasp at some level how generous God has been with us, the incredible gift that we receive from him in the person of Jesus, then all of our giving is just some perfunctory, religious, obligatory, duty-bound kind of stuff. But if we recognize the person of Jesus, who he is, and what God has given to us, then our generosity simply becomes a loving response to the one who gives us more than we could ever expect or need, right? Isn't that what generosity is? more than we could ever expect or need. The Bible says he will do more than we could ever ask or imagine. So before we think about what do we give to him, let's be reminded of how much Jesus gives to us. The first thing we know about the person of Jesus is that Jesus gave willingly. No one took his life from from him, He says that, and in fact, in John 10, 18, he says, no one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. For I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again. For this is what my father has commanded. No one takes the life of Jesus from him. He gives it willingly. It's an act of his will. It's an act of his volition. He decides that it was his father's will for him to die for the sins of humanity. And he willingly, willingly though, at time, though I recognize in all of his humanity that he wrestled through that calling, I recognize that and it happened on the Mount of Transfiguration. That happened at the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus wrestles with this reality, but he ultimately aligns his will with the will of his father, correct? And so he says, no one's taking it from me. Even though, again, in the community it looked like he, he was executed uh, for, uh, for a crime that we know that he never committed, it was, that wasn't the case, though that was what it appeared to be. Jesus is voluntarily sacrificing his life, willingly. He chose to do it. It was his choice, not the choice of some religi- Jewish religious leaders, not the choice of of the Roman government not the choice of one of his followers who betrayed him but it was his choice he made that call only he could make that call and he did it willingly for us was not accidental he willingly gave it Jesus gave his life willingly secondly Jesus gave joyfully John 15, 13 says, greater love has no one than this, than that he lay down his life for his friends. It gave at some level, that's very hard to understand. When Jesus gave his life for us, it gave him joy. The writer of Romans, Paul says, or I'm I'm sorry, the writer of Hebrews uh, in, in, in chapter 12 says this, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Here we have that, that uh, kind of juxtaposition between what's happening on the cross. Incredibly shameful, crucified as a criminal, hanging naked and beaten before his community and being seen as one who broke the law and is paying for their crime. So that's the shame. That's, that's being despised. But notice the joy that was before him. There was joy in his heart. Somehow he was able to joyfully experience this painful, sacrificial sort of gift that he gave to humanity. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Certainly it gave him great joy to sit down, to return to heaven and be in one with, at one with his father in that way that was not separated by his incarnation. But I believe that Jesus was also joyful in embracing the full totality of all that in the giving of his life. Jesus gave joyfully, Jesus gave willingly. Third, Jesus gave for a reason. He gave with a purpose. What was the purpose? It was us. 1 Peter chapter 3, for Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust. He's the just, we're the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. There's the purpose. We are separated from him in the fact that we are born as people who are broken, sinful. We've talked about that. We've reinforced that from scripture. We are broken, sinful, needy people. So he, he dies because we are born into sin and we live out that, that identity and we actively participate in sin. So we're separated from God due to our sin, but we're brought to God through the gift of Jesus Christ on the cross. The just for the unjust that he might bring us to God having been put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit But it, which is exactly what happens for us. We die to self but we experience new life in Jesus Christ. He gives willingly. It was his decision. He gives in some mysterious way joyfully. It gave him joy to sacrifice. Some of you can kind of understand that though, right? Some of you have made sacrificial decisions for your family, and it has brought you genuine joy. That's what happened in the heart and mind of Jesus as he gave his life for us. Willingly, joyfully, purposefully, and of course, Jesus gave to us ultimately as a sacrifice. He gave to us sacrificially. Remember, guys, when we talked about what it means to be a good husband, we focused on that verse in Ephesians chapter 5, where it says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. And then how does that sentence finish? Gave himself up for her. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He gave sacrificially. Philippians 2 says this. Jesus gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience. Obedience to God. And he died a criminal's death on the cross. You see... There's lots of people who pay lip service to what it really means to be someone who gives more than what is needed or expected. Now, we needed the sacrifice, but God certainly didn't need to give it to us. And though at times I think we almost think that we have a level of entitlement or expectation as if God was supposed to do that for us he owed us nothing and yet jesus gave us everything and that sacrifice that sacrifice that he made for us is one that is beyond compare a sacrifice that hurt obedience can be painful let's face it guys death most of the time it hurts public humiliation that Jesus experienced that culminated in capital punishment, that was no easy thing for him to endure. Not to mention, he was innocent of any and all charges that were or ever could be brought against him. That is the degree to which God gives to us everything, his very self, sacrificed. When we think about the gift, any gift that we would return back to the Father, when we think about anything that we would do in the name of God for someone else in the ministry of the church, living as a witness to people who don't yet believe, how it, it could of course never compare to the demonstration of what God has done for us. I want you to think about the way in which we, we typically give, right? Right? way in which we typically give is oftentimes who are the people that we give the most to our family why we love them our good friends why they're our friends Jesus comments kind of a little bit on that and talks about how you know when you do good deeds for people that you love it's kind of like the expected thing I understand it doesn't mean that, that, that parents don't still make sacrifices or we make sacrifices for our friends. I understand that. But the whole principle is not like what God has done for us, right? When you think about what God has done for us, you consider what Romans chapter 5 says. Let me just read it to you. It says in verse 6 of Romans chapter 5, you see at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What's the, one of the most significant acts of worship that we participate in by which we can remember what happened on the cross. Well, it's communion, right? It's the Lord's table. It's going to happen in, in a few minutes here in the service. And, and, in, and in, a, in a unique and mysterious and somewhat supernatural way, there is a sense that Jesus himself is present with us in a unique way as we hold that little piece of bread, as we hold that little cup of juice or wine, He's present to nourish us with his very self just as a nursing mother feeds her child what he or she needs. When you think about the gift of God, when you think about how he gave to us with purpose, willingly, with joy, and the ultimate sacrifice he made in giving us his very self, I pray that it drives us to this place of worship. It drives us to this place of gratitude. It drives us to this place of almost awe and wonder that the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of all creation, would love me with such lavish love that he would give to me more than I could ever need or expect. Let me finish with a little parable. This parable was told by someone named Robin Stevens. Mr. Stevens was the National Stewardship Officer to the Church of England in the 1990s. He says this in his parable. He says, there was once a home builder. Times were really tough. The economy was down. He barely had enough work to feed his family. He couldn't pay his bills, and ironically, though he was a home builder, he lived in a dump that he couldn't afford to repair either. So there's a rich guy in his community, and he heard of his plight. He came to that builder, and he said, you know what, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that you're doing so badly. I'd like to help you. Can you build a house for me? The guy, the builder, he knew this guy. He knew his, his wealth. He was well-known in the community, and he's so, he, he was excited. He said, yes, absolutely. And and, and the builder said to him, please make sure that you use only the best materials in this house that you're going to build build for me, okay? I only want the best. He's like, absolutely, sir. So the wealthy individual, knowing the guy's financial situation, took a very large sum of money and he gave it to this guy and he said, this should cover, I believe, the cost of all the materials, your labor, and you should be able to make a nice profit with this. The builder says, oh my goodness. Thank you so much. And of course, he got right to work. And as he got to work, he was heeding those instructions from, that, from his, you know, his customer about only using the best products, only using the best materials. But as he got into it, he began to think. He began to scheme a little bit, the builder, that is. He said, I know he said best stuff only. But you know what? I can cut some corners and he'll never notice it. It will net me even more money in the end. So the builder kind of felt guilty at first. That nagging guilt eventually kind of faded as the excitement of the increased profit margin became more real. Every corner that he cut was another dollar to himself. Everything that he compromised on was just another way that he was netting more. And the guy was still going to get a great house. So it's win-win. Win. Finally, the house was finished. And though the builder didn't follow his client's instructions to the T, right? It still looked pretty darn good. The rich guy liked it and that profit margin. Yep, it was about 25% more for that builder than he had initially figured on when the price was set with his client. Again, win-win, right? Everybody was happy. As the builder handed the keys to the purchaser, the rich man took them And he handed them right back to the contractor. And he said, you know, I saw your poverty. I saw your struggle. I see what an incredible job you've done. This house, my friend, is my gift to you. That's why I said, make sure you only use the best materials. The heart of God is so generous to us. I don't know that we can grasp the lavish way in which he wishes to bless us. He did it to the degree that he gave us his very self. And next week, yeah, we're going to look at how we can respond to God's generosity to us. But before we do that, let's sincerely contemplate the depth of his divine generosity. God is no miserly being. He's no stingy curmudgeon. He's no corner cutter. He's no cost saver. He gives to us so lavishly, even to the point of giving us his very self. So when you hold that piece of bread and that piece of cup in your hand in just a few minutes, I pray that in a unique and mysterious way, the generosity of God would become a little bit more alive and real to you. If you're a server today, would you guys go ahead and make your way to the back? For the rest of us, just a reminder that each and every one of you who have received Jesus as Savior are welcome to participate in communion. You don't have to be a member of this church or any church, but if you have placed your faith in God and the truth of the gospel, then you're welcome to participate in communion. The plate's gonna pass in front of you. There'll be a piece of bread and a cup. Take one of each, hold on to it if you would. And after we're all served, we'll eat and drink together, okay? As uh, the servers are preparing, let's pray. And then guys, when I say amen, you can go ahead and start distributing those plates. Thank you, Father. That sounds so lame. (laughs) There should be more that we say but no words of appreciation could ever match the gift that you've given to us in your son, Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that in some significant way that we might grow in the depth of our appreciation for your generosity, that that might change us. As we hold, Lord, that piece of bread and that cup of juice the body and the blood of Christ. Remind us, Lord, and change us. Amen.